What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of Hoops Hype Podcast. On today's episode, we'll discuss the league's hottest team to start the season, the Chicago Bulls, who made big splashes this offseason, landing Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, and Alex Caruso, who is a Lakers Twitter fan favorite. So today, joining me on the pod is Casey Johnson, who's covered the Bulls almost as long as I've been alive. Um, he spent 29 years with the Chicago Tribune, and uh, he's now a Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. There's no one better to follow for Bulls coverage. So, Casey, I appreciate you taking some time with us here on Hoops Hype to hop on the podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks for making me feel old, Michael. Appreciate you having me on, man. I I gotta be I gotta be a little cheeky. You're you're still a young buck uh, in in the world of life. I just get a kick out of it. I for those who don't know, like I'm I'm 32. I've been doing this. this is my 10th year going into it now. And I look at some of these kids that come into the arenas and and they look at me and look for advice. And you know, guys like you have been around for a minute. Um, and there's a reason that you know you've been able to develop sources over the years and write and report on good stuff. So it's a pleasure to have you on, as I said. And let's let's talk about these Chicago Bulls who, obviously, like I touched on in the open, they made a lot of splashes this year. Um, Casey, I wanted to get your thoughts on the expectations that the Bulls have internally for themselves. It certainly uh, looks like they're to me, trying to be a playoff team at the minimum with those additions of Lonzo Ball and DeRozan, et cetera. But internally, Casey, wh- where do the Bulls feel like they have positioned themselves this season? Right. So I think I would preface that by saying, first of all, it's uh, it's it's kind of in the infancy of getting to know this managerial regime. Obviously, they were hired during the pandemic. So their entire first season of, of employment, we were not in the gyms with them getting those casual time moments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I did have a small pre-existing relationship with Arturis Karnaschovas, just having met him in unusual circumstances. I was covering the 2014 World Cup um, in Spain uh, because Derek Rose and Tom Thibodeau were on that roster. Um, I was with the Chicago Tribune at the time, and, and Tom was very close with Arturis and introduced me to him because Arturis was a USA basketball official. So, But I didn't know Mark Eversley at all. In fact, I met him uh, in person for the first time uh, this training camp. So, I mean, that I guess I would preface it by saying that I don't have the, you know, inner workings knowledge maybe that I did with the previous regime of John Paxson and Gar Foreman that I covered for close to two decades. All that long-winded preface aside, what I would say is, I mean, it's been pretty clear um, from the Nikola Vucevic trade on that this this regime is pretty hell-bent on, on winning and, and ending the playoff drought. But I think it's just not even so much maybe that specific. I mean, all organizations want to win. I think it's just more general of these guys came in, inherited a roster that was not theirs, evaluated it, quickly concluded they didn't like it and then went about changing it to, to their vision. And that's really kind of what all managerial regimes do. I, I've made this conc- drawn this conclusion many times in my own coverage at NBC sports Chicago, but you know, for all the ridicule and, and fan vitriol that, that John Paxson and Gar Foreman were undergoing at the end of their regime, you know, they came in and were hailed as saviors similar to what the fan base is doing to Arturis and Mark Eversley now, because, they completely flipped the roster that they inherited from Jerry Krause in 2003 
within two seasons. Only Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry remained um, from the roster they inherited from Jerry Krause within two seasons. And similarly, right now, only Kobe White and Zach Levine uh, remain from the roster that Arturis and, and Mark Eversley inherited. So it's just what new regimes do. And uh, I know for a fact that this regime is, I'm sorry, this roster is uh, more in line with their offensive and defensive philosophies. And then they feel good about obviously the off season that they had. Well, with that in mind, then Casey, I mean, you've been around plenty of bulls teams and you touched on the Tibbs era with Derek Rose um, when they were as successful as they've been most recently. So it's early, you know, we're, we're, we're just at the start of the season, but did you have a prediction on where they could be with this roster, whether it's in terms of in the Eastern conference standings or how far they could go, uh, should they make the playoffs as expected? Yeah, so it is early, as as you say. Um, but what I what jumped out to me uh, was just kind of stylistically, I was liking what I was seeing uh, in the preseason. Uh, and they, they haven't played great competition at this point, but just if you look at the way they're playing offensively and defensively, particularly defensively, I, I just feel like this this style will translate well against good teams, particularly in regular season basketball. I do still have. Uh, some size concerns in terms of them making a deep playoff run. They're, they're very undersized, but you know how regular season uh, basketball works. I mean, you can catch a good team on a schedule, a tough, tough schedule game. And, and just the way they're trying to wreak havoc defensively and get out in transition, they're, they're third in the league in points off turnovers. I just feel like stylistically, I was liking what I was seeing in the preseason. So I pegged them for, um, and you know, look, we all know sports predictions, particularly from us are, just that they're just guesses right even though we have you know a, hopefully a good working knowledge of the team we cover we're still guessing at the end of the day so I had them for a top six finish in the east I didn't really pick a number but I just said that I thought they finished top six and I thought they'd be in the 45 win range you know it's a pretty big jump they, they won 31 games last year in the short season um, and who knows I mean that's why they play the games we'll see how it plays out but I do think the way they're trying to play particularly in the regular season I think it's going to lead to a lot of success. They've got really poised um, players. They've got really, uh, you know, aggressive, hungry players. Uh, DeMar DeRosa keeps talking about the collective group having a chip on their shoulders because they've all kind of had individual successes along the way in, in their careers. But um, other than Caruso, who's obviously got the championship ring, and DeMar's one trip to the conference finals with the Raptors, they haven't really experienced much prolonged team success. So. It's it's a nice. It, there's been a, a very very positive vibe from the first week of training camp with this group. You know, Casey, you touched on the, the, that possible top six finish and 45 wins. That's kind of where I had them on the border of like six because you look at the East and the Celtics improved, uh, Charlotte Hornets improved. Certainly, the Bulls did. The Knicks got better as well. Um, Atlanta, their young core is getting better. I, I think the East is as interesting as it's been in a long time and. You know, we'll touch on Billy Donovan a little bit later, but um, certainly I think he's poised to have a better year with this roster as well. And we touched on it at the open, Lonzo Ball coming to this team. Um, for you, you talked about the what you, you liked, what you've seen so far. So I wanted to get your early read on Lonzo and what do you think is different about him as a member of the Chicago Bulls compared to when he was with the Lakers and the Pelicans? 
Right. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, like a lot of people that, that cover one team in the East. I mean, I, I probably didn't see a ton of him cause he was in the West. You know, I would catch him on league pass every once in a while and obviously see him twice a year when he played the bulls. Um, but I would just first speak to just his tenure with the bulls, man, he's good. <laughs> I, I, he's, he's way better than I thought he was. Um, I think when you see him on a nightly basis, you see the selflessness offensively, the commitment to um, being about the team and not about himself, the the humility off the court, the team first answers and media sessions, never about himself, the pace with which he pushes the ball offensively, the improved three-point shot, obviously hit four three-pointers just in their last game against the Raptors. And then defensively is where I've just been blown away. Obviously, you know about his reputation as a strong defender and being engaged at that end. But the disruption with which he plays and the aggressiveness with which he plays and the anticipation with which he plays, he's an incredibly intelligent player. And when you see him, you know, on a daily basis, that really kind of has a cumulative power to it. So I've been... I've been incredibly impressed with him. And I think they're getting him at the right time. I mean, he's on his 13. He's talked about this organization embracing him for who he is rather than who he isn't, which, um, you know, if you look at the expectations that he arrived in LA with as a number two overall pick, you know, that that's a lot. Um, and then obviously traded in the Anthony Davis deal. And he talked last year about kind of being more in a three and D role with the Pelicans. And it was clear that, you know, they didn't really value him for the fu- their future. Um, so he's just he's just been just a guy at ease because he knows this is an organization that uh, not only aggressively pursued him in, in free agency, but tried to trade for him at the last uh, trade deadline in March. So it's been a great fit. And uh, he's, to me, been, other than a, a, a pretty poor fourth quarter in their last game in Toronto, which he acknowledged to us um, in his comments afterward, he just had some really careless turnovers. Other than that stretch, he's been pretty flawless uh, in in the early going here for the Bulls. So it's it's been a nice it's been a nice match. And regarding Lonzo, the league is continuing to investigate uh, the sign and trade that brought him to Chicago. Was curious if you had heard any update at all on where those uh, invest where that investigation stands regarding Lonzo and the Bulls. No, I was on the conference call with Adam Silver. He was asked about it um, and just quickly summarily dismissed it, saying the investigation's ongoing and there's no update or timetable. I was erroneously under the impression that it would be that had a soft deadline of the regular season open because that's when the Bogdanovich investigation concluded last year, which is the only comp you really have for this situation since they've tried to toughen these these laws. But I don't know if the fact that there's two investigations ongoing at the same time complicated that or what? I, I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I will say that the the Bulls themselves are, you know, have obviously cooperated with the investigation and um, it's clear and all the reporting has reflected this, that it's not like they're going to be undoing the transactions. It's just what kind of penalty, if any, is handed down if, if guilt is, is found. And, you know, obviously we can assume it'll be monetary or draft capital or combination thereof. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, looking at it from the outside, Casey, like with you mentioned kind of that timeline about the, the start of the season. And I, I wondered the further it was going on, it makes you wonder if maybe 
they are finding stuff. It, it's unclear, obviously, but food for thought, certainly. But the other guy that they brought in this offseason, DeMar DeRozan, um, when they first brought him in, Casey, I I wondered how he was going to fit in a big three with uh, Nikola Vucevic and uh, Lonzo Ball, just because for most of his career, uh, he's not a guy that stretches the floor uh, predominantly. He's usually been a guy, long twos, post-ups, and uh, a, a guy like that. I was curious from your perspective now seeing him more, uh, what has the fit been like with that trio? And uh, it, could DeMar get back to his all-star numbers when he was with the Raptors now that he's returned to the Eastern Conference with the Bulls? Yeah, well, uh, to that last point, Michael, I would say I don't think he needs to. Um, for, first of all, because of the offensive firepower they have, and Zach is clearly still the the lead dog offensively. Um, but here's where... Here's where I think the local perception always kind of contrasted or didn't jive with the the national perception of that um, of that signing because we watched this team last year struggle with three critical areas. They never got to the free throw line. I don't have it in front of me. I be, they might have been 30th, if not, they were 28th, 29th. Um, they struggle with ball security, and they um, struggle with clutch scoring. And if you look at Demar Derozan's uh, resume over his 12 years in the NBA, that that's like it right there. I mean, he gets to the line, he takes care of the ball, and and he's a, a great isolation clutch scorer. And and look, if you want Exhibit A of the the value that and the fit that he has for the Bulls, watch the fourth quarter of the the Raptors game. The Bulls look like you know, other than Demar, they look like a high school team in uh, in almost losing a 20 point lead. It, it was a two point. It, dropped to two points twice on two occasions, and DeMar just did what he does. He just calmly backed somebody down and hit a turnaround mid-range jumper in somebody's grill. I mean, that's just what he does. So um, here's the other thing is, like, we all saw kind of his transformation from Toronto to San Antonio and how he became, you know, he played a lot of four and small ball lineups. They ran offense through him. His assist numbers jumped to a career high last year. So he, as I mentioned before, is just at a position in his career where he's just kind of savoring that he's still playing at a very high level and, um, and doesn't need to be the lead alpha male. And he, he knows that Zach is that, but he also knows like last night, like he was the go-to guy. He was the calming force. Zach, Zach did not play well in the fourth quarter. So it's, it's, that's why I keep talking about the the vibe. And again, obviously when you're winning, everything is hunky dory and roses and kumbaya and all that stuff. But um, it's just like, it's like, these guys don't really care about individual stuff. They just want to win. And so he'll, he's always scoffed at the fit questions from the jump. And the first time we got him on zoom in August, when he, when he signed, he scoffed at him because he said, we're just basketball players and we're, we're going to go out there and figure it out. And it's just, you've got a bunch of guys um, that are just at the stage of their career where they just want to win and they don't care about individual statistics. So I, I, I all along like the move because of the, the needs of, before I elucidated that they address those directly. And that's where I think this management regime has stood out to this point. They, they, they analyze the roster, they address positions and areas of need, or they figured out their positions of areas of need, and then they address them. And we, we can get into Caruso in a second because he absolutely addressed a significant 
position of need, and that was point of attack defense. I mean, the Bulls were terrible at that last season. So um, DeMar is another example of, of management's vision and, and trying to address their problem areas with the roster that they inherited. You know, Casey, you touched on it that DeMar, they, they had some success in Toronto, but I don't know if I would consider him an elite winner. Zach Levine to this point, talented player, you know, personal accolades, slam dunk champ, a guy that's been an Olympian, just um, hasn't had the team success. Uh, Vucevic in uh, Orlando, certainly the same thing, all-star player, not a lot of playoff success to show for it. Um, having those three guys now collectively joining forces, uh, you know, not saying this is Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett, but certainly uh, a talented trio, and it'll be interesting to see how far they go. Uh, of those three, I, I touched on Zach Levine. Uh, his future, I know from rival executives around the league, they've been monitoring closely. Um, and with, with Chicago getting Zach, some help and in, in DeMar and Lonzo and, and this team taking off, you know, behind the scenes, uh, to my knowledge, Zach definitely wanted to win this year and he wanted to give Arturis a chance to build around him as the, the focal point of this team. You touched on him being one of the few guys from the previous regime, along with Kobe white. Um, with that in mind, where do you see Zach Levine's future with this team regarding a possible extension? Yeah, I mean, I've, you, you know, you've been around this league long enough to know you never say never, right? I mean, but I would just say that every indication I've been given, both uh, internally from his side and internally from the organization, is that this is a this is a match made to move forward together. I mean, I don't think you expend the draft capital that this regime has uh, doled out in the Vucevic trades and the the Rosen acquisition um, without you know, doing everything in your power to appease your number one player and also to try to, to win now. And and we all also obviously know that the Bulls have the ability to pay him more than any other franchise. And there's also, as you know, not a lot of cap space out there next summer. Um, you know, with with uh, with the funk, funky situations with Simmons and Irving, are there some all-NBA Spots up for grabs in the backcourt in, in in the league. If he if he earns that designation, then he's supermax eligible, and obviously that only applies to the Bulls. So there's there's a million reasons why I think he's going to be here long term. Not the least of which, which I haven't even said yet, he has really embraced kind of being the face of the franchise ever since the the Jimmy Butler trade. Even when they were bad, I mean, he's always he's been front and center as the you know star of the team always available media-wise, good representative of the franchise, loves living in Chicago, loves the history and the legacy of the franchise. So, as I said before, you, you never say never in this league. Things happen you don't when you don't expect them. But I, I personally have always felt this is headed for a long-term extension. Um, you know, and there was obviously the storyline that they could have done it this summer where they had they could have done the renegotiate and extend, but then they wouldn't have been able to, you know, add the pieces they made. And and Zach was a big part of those pieces being added. I mean, he was involved in that process with management, which is another sign of the the trust that's being built between those two parties. So um, Zach was on board with all these additions, knew what they were doing in terms of his future, pushing his contract situation to next summer. And we've asked him about it ad nauseum. He's he's not engaging in it. He's said all along, I, I want what I'm worth. 
but I'm happy here and it's going to take care of itself. So I, I all along have felt like this is headed for a, for a long-term future here with the Bulls. On paper and logistically, it would certainly seem that way. And, you know, you touched on the draft capital that they gave up to get DeMar and, um, you know, Vucevic as well. Uh, there was, there were some rumblings out there that Lowry Markinen was a, a part of those DeMar DeRozan talks. And um, ultimately he didn't uh, end up going there. And, you know, the other night, uh, you know, I was worried that the cops were going to arrest him for the murder of Jared Allen. He destroyed him on a dunk. If, if you haven't seen that one. Um, but um, I was curious if you had heard, I mean, obviously Lowry Markinen ended up with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but in terms of uh, his restricted free agency process, were there any other teams where there were deals on the table where it was close that maybe Lowry Markkinen would not have ended up with the Cleveland Cavaliers and ended up in a different direction? Because I kind of got the vibe that there were there were certainly other potential deals on the table. Yeah, I mean, you and I are both kind of reporting that story pretty closely, and and you know. The teams, I think, are pretty much out there. I mean, the Hornets had some interest at some point. The Spurs had some interest. The Mavericks had some interest. Um, I can't remember. There might have been one or two others. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Lowry had a lot of interest. And I will also say this. Like, the Bulls were never against bringing Lowry back. I mean, it was clear that Lowry wanted a fresh start. But the Bulls, if you look at their roster, he actually kind of fits. I mean, he wouldn't be starting. And he made that clear that, that um, you know, a starting role was important to him. Um, but the Bulls were pretty open to, to having him back, but on, but on their terms, you know, and they, and they, they made a good faith offer uh, before the last season for the rookie extension, you know, then it's Lowry and his representatives, right. To, to turn that down. Um, but so that's, that's why I was, I always find that kind of stuff funny. It's like, you know, even though it went South and they ended up divorcing, I mean, if he accepts that deal, um, you know, he's, he's here long-term or at least on a long-term contract. I remember the same thing happened with Bobby Portis. I mean, he turned on a pretty good faith offer from the Bulls and then, you know, ended up signing that shorter, shorter deal with the Knicks before he found his home with the Bucks. So um, it's just weird how this stuff kind of works. But, uh, you know, Lowry made it clear he wanted to be somewhere else um, and he got his wish with the Cavaliers situation after some, uh, some dalliances with some other franchises. Yeah, I mean, look, he definitely got a, a starting spot with Cleveland. and It'll be a, a focal point of that young core. I do think Cleveland's offer ended up being better than where Chicago was from what I had heard. But, you know, you touched on also uh, about how he could have been a part of this new um, regime going forward. And earlier we touched on there's only a couple guys left from the Gar Foreman uh, regime, and one of those guys is Kobe White. Uh, first thing I wanted to ask you was, is there any update on a potential return for Kobe uh, to this Bulls lineup? So we we were uh, told uh, mid November for the next update, um, and uh, you know that's kind of in line with the, the timeline for uh, surgery to repair a torn labrum, four to six months. Um, so I don't know. I don't think that means he's back then. I think that means update and maybe cleared for contact on the court and stuff. So. I think if all things go well, maybe you're talking end of November, sometime early December for his return to the court. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, um, he, he's, he's, uh, to me, he's got a pretty big role for this team still because 
bench scoring has been an issue early on uh, here, and he's you know going to be clearly coming off the bench now with the additions of Ball and DeRozan uh, and, and Zach still being there. But uh, I, I still see a pretty big role for him at least this season. As far as long term, that's to be determined because he's going to be coming up for extension his rookie deal after next season, um, and obviously they committed long term to Caruso. But at least for this season, I think he's still got a pretty big role for this team. You know, with that in mind, Casey, a couple of executives around the league I spoke to believe that uh, Kobe White is a trade candidate for the Bulls since he was a part of the old regime and he will move to that bench role as kind of a combo guard with Lonzo Ball there. Um, you know, with that in mind, that he was the top guy that they thought would be traded for the Bulls. Um, if you haven't checked it out, uh, for the listeners, you can check it out on hoopshype.com. We did the top player that could be traded on each team. You have to talk with executives to get their opinion. Be sure to check that out. But what do you, you know, you touched on that this season you think like he could still be a part of this team. But um, would you have a gauge personally on uh, maybe a percentage of if he was traded or not? Or what do you think his value could be around the league if Chicago considered the idea of trading him? Yeah, I mean, again, from my seat, I think he's still got a pretty big role because bench scoring has been a huge issue. They just don't. And also, I think, you know, the way that Billy's coaching right now, he's staggering DeMar DeRozan with the second unit. And I think, um, even though defensively that might pre- present some issues, I think those two guys offensively playing together could, could do some damage in that, in that second unit. Um, but, you know, th- this regime also has a long term vision. And, they did commit to Caruso long-term. They are undersized. So um, I, I have not explored in much in talking to people around the league what his trade value might be. But, you know, if, if a deal presents itself where they can add a big, you know, I, I certainly think that's something you have to consider given the size concerns for this roster. But, again, long, short-term, I, 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 see, I see a pretty big need for this guy. <laughs> So I've always been kind of a Kobe fan. I think he's a classic case of people focusing on his faults rather than his strengths. Um, to me, you know, this particular with the league, league trending towards an offensive style of basketball, he's still got ability to score in bunches. He's not a point guard. He was asked to play point guard last year. I actually showed, thought he showed a lot of growth in, in, in trying to play that position, but he's not a natural point guard. And, in the role he would be in for this team, you know, a reserve scoring punch. I think he's got a lot of value. So I personally, I'm terrible at playing GM. I'm a beat writer, but I personally think uh, uh, he fits for this team. And, um, you know, whether or not they, they want to commit to him long-term, that's that's um, a sense I don't really have yet from, from this regime. Another guy executives um, had touched on regarding this team. I pulled execs on who could be a guy that's a, a breakout candidate for this year. And Patrick Williams came in fifth in our hoops hype execs poll for that top breakout player to monitor this season. So I'm curious from your perspective, being around the team, what do you think his role can be this season and his outlook with the team? Well, it's, it's funny you say that because he's, he's gotten off to kind of a slow start here. Um, you know, he's obviously, you know, Arturis' first personnel move uh, as, since he got the job, I mean, as the fourth overall pick in the in last year's draft or the 2020 draft. Um, and I thought he had a very solid rookie season, obviously, starting um, 70, all, 71 games, um, you know, all but one game. 
and defensively, I think he's got a lot of potential, but there's a little consternation amongst the fan base here just about his passivity at times. He can tend to drift and disappear, particularly offensively. Rebounding's been a little bit of an issue. I mean, he didn't have a rebound in 26 minutes against the Raptors, and as you're starting power forward, that's just not a good look. Um, the physical tools are clearly there. The athleticism is clearly there. Um, but, you know, there's just kind of been this ongoing hovering issue of his aggressiveness. And, you know, is that something that can be learned or that he can pick up? Because he just doesn't always display it at times. And, you know, one of the fears amongst the fan base that I hear consistently is with the additions of all the offensive firepower coming here, um, you know, will that just allow him to fade in the background even more? Now, Billy Donovan, in kind of almost an unsolicited fashion after the third home game of the season, a home victory over the Pistons, offered a pretty impassioned defense of him, kind of telling everybody to preach patience, saying basically this is a guy that, you know, played one year of college basketball, has not had a training camp yet, a, a, a legitimate training camp yet, because obviously the his rookie year one was affected by the pandemic and there was no summer league. And then this year after summer league, he misses all training camp because of an ankle injury. So he's saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta be patient with this guy, but you know, if you're in the fourth overall pick that comes with, a certain level of expectation. And um, so I, I personally see the skill level and the athleticism and the physicality. And he's got a great NBA body. Um, you just want to see it translate into more consistent production because as I mentioned, there's too many times where you just kind of forget he's on the floor and look, I get it. I mean, they've got big name guys, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, now even Lonzo ball out there with him. But, um, He's still got to be making a little bit more of a uh, noticeable impact on a nightly basis uh, for this season to kind of be considered a success. You also touched on Alex Caruso filling a need for this team. Um, you know, obviously he was uh, an I- he was almost like a cult icon for the Lakers Twitter. For sure. Um, you know, that's all fun and good on on Twitter and, and things like that, and. You know, I get a kick out of like the white men can't jump memes and all that stuff. But what what has Alex Caruso brought on the court to this team, and what can he bring looking ahead for the season? Now they signed well, him. Yeah, well, past, yeah, well, past Twitter, man, it, it's real here. He's already got an MVP chance at the free throw line at the United Center. So <laughs> that's that's no that's no joke. I swear to God, that's that's happened uh, every home game and has gotten louder. And we're only at uh, you know. Let's see, they've had played two road games, two home games. So both home games, it's happened and it's gotten louder. Uh, so prepare for him to be a fan favorite here in uh, Chicago as well. Um, look, man, I mean, he is easily, you know, it, it can be a fun games with him a little bit because of his demeanor and the white man can't jump and all that stuff. I'll just throw out some numbers. I mean, he, he leads the NBA in deflections right now. And he's second in the league in steals and he's playing 27 minutes a game. So... I know it's early. I know it's small sample size, but the guy does what he does. He's an annoying physical pest at the point of attack, and he just does not stop defensively. And as I mentioned before, that was a huge area of need. I can't tell you how many times the last season post game we heard Billy Donovan talk about uh, Bulls guards' inability to control screen roll, get hung up on screens, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just what this guy does. He blows up action. He gets over screens. He's relentless. He's annoying. He's long. 
and he's playing exactly how the Bulls envisioned him playing to this point. He's making an impact. He's closing games over Patrick Williams. They're playing DeMar at the four. The two tight games the Bulls have had, both games, it's been Ball, Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic. So he's closing over the number four overall pick in, in the draft, uh, at least early in Billy Donovan's rotation. So, um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that coaches love because you know what you're going to get from him. And as you know, coaches love to be able to trust players. And there's a lot of trust already between Billy Donovan and Alice Caruso. You touched on Billy. Billy Donovan, for me, Casey, is a strong coach of the year candidate. And I did actually pick him uh, to win the award because, as you touched on, I think Chicago could win in the mid-40s uh, and be a potential six-ish seed. I know you said top six somewhere in that range. I think they're in the six-ish range. Um, what do you think of Billy Donovan's chances of winning coach of the year and also – uh, just his job overall with this team since uh, he took over. Well, I mean, the thing I would say about Billy is if you watch him from afar. I mean, obviously, you know about his reputation coming from college. I, I actually knew Billy a little bit just because, you know, he coached Joakim Noah and in, in, in obviously for two, 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 two champions in, in Florida. And, and I had interviewed Billy over the years because of how many years I covered Joakim with the Bulls. Um, so you watch him from afar and you have an appreciation for the hardest teams play, how they defend. And then he comes to Oklahoma city. And what you see is, you know, a, a, a guy, at least from the outside looking in who kind of, he, he adjusts. I mean, he has obviously his core principles in place and what he believes in, and his philosophies, but he, he t- to me, he's one of those guys who kind of coaches to his personnel. And I mean, the, the, obviously the team he had his last year in Oklahoma city was ridiculously different from the team. He would he, inherited when he first arrived um but if you look at that i mean he he adjusted and and you know they used that three guard lineup that last season in oklahoma city to great success ran a lot of offense through stephen adams to great success but the one common denominator that i've always noticed and, and appreciate is how well his teams defend i mean he had four top 10 defenses in his five years in oklahoma city and even last year with a really disjointed year and changing personnel and a, and a pretty young group to start the season that the Bulls, their defensive rating was 12th last season. Um, so he gets teams to defend and you're seeing that again this year, but this is kind of to my point with a completely different style. I mean, the Bulls are incredibly undersized. Billy has owned that from the start. He's been very transparent with us about that. I mean, it's obvious, you know, Vooch and, you know, Tony Bradley, who hasn't even cracked the rotation yet after a preseason injury are the only two legitimate bigs. So they're very undersized and they're just playing this really aggressive, relentless, deflection-oriented, um, steel-oriented, um, switching defensive system. So it's a different system from last year. So again, he's coaching to his personnel's strength. You've got massive disruptors and long defenders in Ball and Caruso, and he's unleashing those guys. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, all coaches get uh, analyzed and dissected. The fan base has sometimes some questions about his timeout usage, blah, blah, blah. I just look at how hard his teams defend. And, um, you know, offensively right now, the Bulls are not where they want to be. They're, they're, I think, 30th in three-point attempts. They Vucevic is off to a little bit of a slow start offensively. And Billy said, like, look, everyone thought we had all this firepower. We're just going to be lights out and outscoring everybody. He goes, no. I mean, I've always all along thought when you have new players coming into new systems and new roles, 
you know, you've got three previous number one options in DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic now all trying to figure out how to play with each other. The offense is what's going to lag behind, but you can always control the defense and defensive effort. And really, the Bulls, you know, the defense is way ahead of their offense right now. So I give Billy credit for that. He's very honest and direct, not only with us, but with his players, more importantly. Um, you can just tell the level of respect they have for him. So I don't get into coach of the year predictions. I think it's the hardest award to predict just because there's so many great jobs done on every season. He only has one top three finish. That was that last year in Oklahoma city when he finished third. Um, but yeah, I mean, the bulls right now are the only unbeaten team in the East. And if they continue kind of this breakout story, he's certainly going to get some, um, uh, does, uh, some looks at that award. Uh, if they continue this throughout the season. Well, he'd make me look good for shooting my shot. But, you know, Casey, I wanted to kind of wrap it up on this. You know, you touched on um, when you had to cover Joakim Noah and, and and that era. Obviously, Tom Thibodeau, Derek Rose, Luol Deng, Joakim Noah were a big part of those years in Chicago and their success. What I was curious of from a writer's perspective, being on the road with the team at that time and going to practices and everything, are there any fun, funny stories that you have with Tibbs and D Rose and those guys that um, maybe people wouldn't know? Because you know how it is being around a locker room with guys. There, there's always some hidden gems in comedy. And with Tibbs, um, I don't think he's. Uh, I mean, he's tough. Don't get me wrong, but he's got a funny side that I don't think people know enough about. And certainly, uh, Derek is one of those guys who could help bring it out. Oh, you're spot on. I would actually say both those guys are uh, low-key, underrated, humorous. I, I think everyone's got this impression of Derek being this stoic guy because, uh, although I will say his media profile, he's gotten much more comfortable in his own skin as his career has progressed. He was, you know, the king of the two or three-word answer when he first got here. Um, but it, he's, he's a very – you know him. I mean, he's an incredibly humble guy, Derek is, but he's got a hilarious sense of humor, and his teammates talk about that all the time. He he he. He shows it in the locker room, but far more acutely, Tibbs, for sure. I mean, that dude's got a hilarious sense of humor, but he only, he only shows it to certain people. But he, he drops his guard with us every once in a while. I, I know Tom very well. He's a, I think he's a hilarious guy. Um, and then I always say, like, I mean, I feel very fortunate to have covered one franchise for as long as I have. I've obviously dealt with a lot of great people and a lot of great personalities, but I've always said Joakim is my favorite athlete I've ever covered just because he's like, the perfect combination of like worldliness and honesty and humor and passion and um, doesn't take himself very seriously, but takes the job very seriously and just a great teammate always had his teammates back. You know, the, the, the Bulls are actually having Joakim Noah night on Thursday night when the Knicks are in town uh, with Tom and Taj and, and Derek um, because when he retired, you know, stadiums weren't, at full capacity because of the pandemic. So they're, they're going to honor him Thursday night here at the United center and a ton of players are coming back for it. Uh, I've been catching up with a lot of them over the phone for stories. I've been working on for our website at NBC sports, Um, but, uh, Joakim is just fantastic for what we did. Um, just really, really passionate, great interview and, and, uh, always wore his emotions on his sleeve and, uh, Thursday night should be a lot of fun at the United center. No, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Joakim, the pride of Poly Prep Brooklyn High School. 
here in New York and Casey Johnson, the pride of Chicago. I appreciate you hopping on the line with me, brother. It was a lot of fun to dissect the Bulls now and um, you're going to have an exciting season with these guys. So looking forward to your coverage going ahead for the rest of the season. Thanks for having me on and I'll see you down the road somewhere. Sounds good, brother. And I also want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as KC Johnson, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following KC too. He's at KCJ Hoop. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.